Big Oil is investing in renewable energy on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, September 24th, 2015, and here are the men, the myth, the legends, Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. How's it going, guys? It's tough to be all three. Yeah, it's is one of us like the man, the other one's the myth and the legend. Like, how or are they are they evenly distributed? I'm not going to we'll hurt the other one's feelings by saying which one of you has all these characteristics. Okay, fine. Uh, we've got lots to talk about today: a mailbag question and renewable energy investments being made by big oil. But first, I've been dying to talk about the possibility that the day of reckoning for oil producers is just around the bend. Uh, Tyler, what do we mean when we say the day of reckoning is coming? Because that sounds very scary. Yeah, so um, maybe a little hyperbolic when we use or terms like that or a little hyperbole there. But basically what is going to happen in the next couple of weeks is lenders to the oil and gas producers in the United States and around the world actually are going to reevaluate credit lines, how much these companies can borrow um, on a short-term financing deal um, based on their reserves, their production, and all of those things. And one of the big thi- determinants of that lending capacity is oil prices. And with oil prices continuing to fall, we could see a major cut in the amount of money these companies can borrow on those what we call credit facilities. And if those are cut lower than what you know companies have taken out uh, on those credit facilities, you could see a cash crunch. We actually saw it, what was it, earlier in April, I believe it was Brightburn Energy Partners had their credit facility cut lower than what was taken out on that credit facility, and they immediately had to raise capital through equity issuances and they other were... moves to um, you know, fill that funding gap. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they had taken out and used the credit facility to essentially fund their CapEx. Like, they had a $2 billion yeah. facility. That very, they were very using. large amount. I believe at the time they were about 80 to 85% drawn on that borrowing capacity. And so when that was revised, you know, it, it immediately went down and they had to find a way to close that funding gap very quickly. And the thing is, is that's very possible uh, in a couple of weeks when those uh, revisions are actually made. So, uh, Taylor, from your vantage point, feel free to rope in Canadian names if you want. I, you know, I don't, I don't think any of the listeners are particularly uh, picky. But um, how bad is that going to be? Because obviously we just talked about a really bad situation. Yeah. But how, how common is that? Um, you know, I, I don't think I don't think there's too many companies out there that are going to see their credit lines drawn down below where they've already borrowed from. So I don't think you're going to see companies having to go out and and sell a ton of assets. But it could lead to some of that M and A that we've been expecting over the last year almost. Um, Which hasn't happened. I mean, correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, there's been some big deals, but you haven't really seen any small companies go out there and be forced right. to sell a bunch of you assets. Had Rosetta, you had, yeah, you, I mean, the, the, the energy BG service group, names. Got, and, yeah, Halliburton yeah. acquiring and Schlumberger acquiring, but um, you haven't really seen a rash of smaller producers either go bankrupt or ha- be forced to sell assets. And I think that could probably happen because even if you even if you aren't getting your credit facility cut below where you have drawn. Um, you're still going to have a cash crunch if oil stays this low because a lot of these companies have been relying on being able to incrementally use that credit facility. And if it's dropped by 15 to 30%, um, 
you know, immediately, then they're going to be in trouble. Uh, I would be looking at companies that have drawn about 50% or less of their credit facility at, right now until you kind of see this shake out a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and you, what worries me as well is that you're not going to see companies turn to the equity markets because their prices are so low. To raise, we saw to raise a couple of MLPs. They had to issue. Sh- I mean, Lynn, Bright, they all, not Brightburn, but mm-hmm. some had to issue shares. Yep. Yeah, just at the worst possible time against their own best interest. Right. Yeah, so like was- <laughs> um, asset sales might be the best for some companies, and maybe maybe you see that. Maybe not all out hundred percent acquisitions, but you yeah. could see some people selling off core assets. So, Tyler, before we went on air, you were talking about how um, these bankers are going to be conservative, right? Because they're bankers. Yeah. So <laughs> they are bankers. And when they look at these sort of things, these these uh, credit facilities and a lot of their lending capacities, what they're going to do is they're going to look at this from basically not what the future production potential of this company is. They're going to they look, could care less. They they want to know that this is going to get paid off within a set amount of time. So they're going to look at current production rates. They're going to look at you know what is developed and producing and what current. Um, the current amount of production can produce based on prices. And a recent survey that was done, I believe, by Macri Group um, in a report, an article done by Bloomberg earlier, said that at this coming time, they're going to do about $48 uh, per barrel as their you know. Where were we on this benchmark. day last year, Taylor? Uh, 92 and some change. Oof. <laughs> so we're looking at you know more than a cut in half on oil prices. And you know that could lead to a pretty significant thing. And I think that actually there there's a small silver lining I think out of this. Um once we look at this credit facility at $48. Uh the, I believe the last one they said on it was 77 a year ago. Uh yeah. I believe that was actually the April revision. Okay. All right. Was in April they do this every six months, and in April it was about seventy seven dollars. And they try to take the average price mm-hmm. of the previous six Trail, months. Yeah, yeah, trailing average, and so it was seventy seven back then. It is now going to be forty eight, or at least many banks are going to use that as their benchmark. And if you look at oil prices, you know a lot of people are saying that forty eight dollars is a pretty unsustainable price. So you can kind of use that as a gauge, like if these companies are struggling that much at $48 or what we've seen, and that's what banks are setting it out, and you can see banks will say how much they can lend. Mm-hmm. And if you see how much they cut in relation to that price, you know it'll give you an idea of what kind of financial shape these companies are, much more so than we've seen as of recent because – Credit has been so cheap as of late, and you know the ability. Free money. To, yeah, <laughs> the ability to finance has been so easy. Uh, just going off of what Taylor had mentioned a minute ago, I, I did a, a little kind of screening earlier today on uh, uh, S and P Capital IQ. There are about fifty companies in the uh, oil, gas, and consumable fuels. So this isn't just producers. This is all of them, and uh, there are about fifty companies that are more than fifty percent drawn. On their uh, credit facilities, so they're right they're now. most certainly sweating right now. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cool, awesome. This is uh, further confirmation of the banker's rule, which is the three six three rule. You uh, borrow at three percent, lend at six percent, go to the golf course at three. Yeah, yeah, not a bad idea. Before we move on to our mailbag question of the day, I wanted to reiterate once again a very special offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry focused listeners. As a loyal IF listener, you have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. 
Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, moving on to our mailbag question of the day from apparently a distant cousin of mine once again, Aaron M. O'Malley. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he sent in a couple questions, but we're going to spread them out. Aaron, yeah, Aaron we love you. You can't handle them all at once. Um, with a yield of over 9.69%, so I mean, what we're saying, close to double digits mm-hmm. here on a yield yep. here, um, and potentially less volatility than a producer, do you think Plains All-American Pipeline, symbol PAA, represents an attractive buying opportunity at current prices, and do you think the dividend is sustainable? Uh, who wants to take a crack first? I'll start, and yeah. I'll actually pitch this to Taylor in a minute, since Taylor is our stock advisor Canada guy. Um, when, when I look at Plains All-American, it has a couple things that are going for it uh, that are extremely good. Um, number one, it has a very diverse offering of logistics. Not only is it in the crude oil market, it's in uh, natural gas liquids, it's in natural gas, and you know, not just a pipeline company. It says Plains All-American. It's a, that was they my say question. It's a pipe, do they do storage? Like, what else do they, they do? They also do storage. They do rail. They do logistics, uh, terminaling as well. So there's a lot of optionality within the Plains All-American system which bodes well for any company. If, if a company has that ability to kind of move oil to different markets, depending on where you know, a, a producer or refiner wants it, you know, that optionality makes it a that much more valuable system than, say, you know, maybe a company that has one or two pipelines that can only go to a certain place. Uh, the other thing that uh, is really working in Plains' favor is the fact that it is one of four master limited partnerships that has a triple B plus uh, investment grade rating uh, from S. Now that doesn't seem Q. astronomically high, but you're okay with that uh, in terms of in, in credit ratings. I'm sorry, yeah. there there are only a, a small handful of master limited partnerships that are actually investment grade rating. Okay, and, and this is just because technically they pay out all their income as the, dividends and. And it's in the commodity business. It's yeah, a little bit okay. more volatile. Volatile, and even though you know, as we've seen, it's for midstream companies. It's kind of a toll road sort of thing. And so, if you look at that, a triple B plus is the best. There's okay. only four of them total in the entire country that have that high of a rating. So, you know, there is some security in that that it has good access to financing. And the ratings agencies are looking at this and saying that it looks good. My one question, and I wouldn't say this is going to be a killer of Plains All American, but more like you know, could you know slow growth a little bit, but would be its exposure to Canada, and that's why I want to kind of ask Taylor about this: is that Plains does have a pretty high exposure to Canada, especially like moving um, diluent to or uh, yeah, diluent, which is like cheap or condensate to mm-hmm. dilute bitumen and stuff like that. And a high exposure to heavy oil, uh, based on where prices are, and kind of looking at the dynamic of shale and stuff like that, could you know that that shale or that oil sands industry kind of really slow down what Plains is doing because of what we've seen with prices as of late? Yeah, that's a big worry. If you think uh, U.S. oil prices are bad, uh, look at Canada. It's if you look at it on a Canadian dollar basis, it's right there with WTI. But oh when you gosh. translate it into dollars, it's in the low 30s. Where's our currency trader? So, uh, so you're looking at a, about $31 a barrel uh, for Western Canadian Select. And uh, yeah, it's it's more costly to produce. It's more costly to transport because, like you said, you have to get the diluent up to up to the the fields to then dilute it so it can actually flow through pipelines because it is so heavy. Otherwise, you use rail to transport it, but we've seen the 
not the collapse, but the oil by rail has fallen um, fairly significantly due to some some disasters and just mm-hmm. the, the economics of oil not really supporting a higher cost to transport by rail anymore. So, outside of the biggest producers up there, you could certainly see um, some pullback, and I think you're already starting to see that up in Canada. So. Uh, Plains All American being exposed to that might be a short term yeah, risk. Yeah, the other thing that always still concerns me about Canadian producers too is their lack of market options. Right. You yeah, know, they have they get it to their East Coast refiners and the Midcon refiners, but that's uh, that's really about it because you're not going to be selling heavy crude internationally. You have to refine it first. Yeah. Cool. Well, moving on to our final and third segment, uh, renewable energy investments by big oil. French oil giant Total recently announced that going forward, they will be investing $500 million annually in biofuels and solar. Is this some kind of like, uh, you guys remember when BP was branding themselves as Beyond Petroleum? Is this a uh, ploy, or are they serious about this? What do you guys think? I think they're serious. It's something that, since, I guess, 2011, they bought a majority stake in SunPower, the the solar company here in the U.S., and, um, you know, there's a long-term investor at, at Total somewhere, um, right. because they wouldn't be doing it if they weren't looking out over a decade. Um, they're well, actually thinking beyond petroleum. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, and they're actually one of the companies that have tried to do this and stuck to their guns. Um, I, Exxon was getting... Big into the biofuels game a few years ago, completely sold out of it. Um, as you mentioned, BP kind of returned back to petroleum over the last few years, and you haven't really seen any other major oil companies take a nosedive into renewable energy um, and n- nosedive in, in a good way, in my mind. And uh, so, it, 500 million for this company isn't the biggest bet in the world, especially when you consider the the I think billions they paid for SunPower. Right. Um, so I think it's a positive step, and it's you know they're not they're not dumb to the future. You know I think that oil is on its way out in the next 30 years, not not fully. Right. But you know we still need it for cha- plastics. <laughs> there's a changing of the guard for sure in terms of. Um, long-term growth. Got it. So there, uh, there was one thing I, I wanted to mention that they're doing that is actually really smart. One of the things that Total has suffered from for quite a while has been its refinery operations, especially in Europe, um, in, especially related to you know, unions They had a bunch of oil laws. they couldn't get it refined? Well, no. It, it was this. they had unproductive refineries. They weren't, uh, you know, turning out the the you know I guess the returns they were looking for, and because of French labor laws and resistance from unions, they've had a hard time shutting those down, and they've kind of had oh, to geez. run them at at lower than expected or desired returns. And so one of the things that they had actually mentioned that they're going to do with this renewable um, investment is they're actually going to convert a couple of those refineries that have not produced well for them on a petroleum basis, and they're actually going to convert them to biofuel refineries. So it's kind of one of those things where- Making the best of a bad situation. Exactly. So, you know, the headliner is, you know, 500 million in annual- you know, at renewable energy investments, but sometimes it's actually investments like that look way smarter than right. just the the headline of alternative energy. It's taking care of a sunk cost, yeah. So, um, either of you, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like Exxon, for example, a few years ago, you were talking about how they you know dip their toe in the mm-hmm. the biofuels, uh, dip their toe in the biofuels pool or whatever. 
Um, then they pulled out and they're like, it seems to me like they were like, okay, we try that. It's not quite working. It's not our within our circle of competence. We're just going to be really good at making money doing what we do, and we're just going to pay out a bunch of money in dividends. Mm-hmm. Is Total making the opposite decision? Or is, oh. is this black and white? Is there a little bit of gray? Well, uh, you look at Exxon compared to Total and the size difference there. Uh, it's, it's massive, yeah. You know, Total is still a big company, but it doesn't take as much to move the needle with right. them as it would in Exxon. Exxon would have had to have completely blown biofuels out of the water to, <laughs> to make any money, to make any money, yeah. or at least to 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 make money for from their perspective, right? So um, it's kind of like Apple not having any idea what the to watch do. doesn't matter. Yeah, the yeah. watch doesn't move the needle. So even even if they moved into electric cars, they would have to take over the whole automotive right. market to really you know. Isn't that funny that they have to get into cars in order yeah. to make more money? Like well, it's- meaningful. <laughs> Money, right? Meaningful they can money, make yeah. money doing doing uh, phones and computers, more things but... with technology. But uh, yeah, to move the the stock investor needle, yeah. then then you got to plan big. And Exxon just didn't see a big enough bet with biofuels. But um, you're going to see some companies grow pretty significantly with renewables. Um, but they're going to be smaller. On a meaningful basis for yeah. them, right? Got it. What and, were you going to say, Tyler? Well, the other thing you have to take into account is a lot of these investments that companies made. You know, they were the first mover investments. Like we said, BP had a huge wind investment a couple of years ago, and then they they did sold, they sell that? They, they sold did, out yeah. uh, during the Deepwater Horizon, trying to raise some cash. But you know, if you look at it, that was 15 years ago, and if you look at the efficiencies that we've gained in solar, in wind, it now in a lot smart. of these, yeah. it looks much yeah. smarter than it yeah. did 15, but it took 15 years, years ago. Years. Yeah, wow. it's taken a while, and you know, maybe investing today, those returns are going to look. A heck of a lot better than the returns that ExxonMobil or BP were getting on those renewables, you know, 15 years ago. And to be fair, uh, this is 500 million dollars a year. Uh, Total's total capital budget is 24 billion. So we're not <sighs> even there. It's not Sigh. really moving. So <laughs> let's let's keep this in context yeah. here, people. 500 cool. million is a lot to us. It is, yeah. But there's a size difference there. Yeah, like where's that? Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you both for your thoughts. I will see you next week. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on! <laughs>